filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So, Jason, where are you thinking about watching the USA game on Friday? Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to uh, head in uh, to Doc FC, where we just had our watch party. Um, I was going to meet my dad there for that, but he is getting up at 5 a.m. Saturday to ride his bike 140 miles because he's prepping for a cross-country uh, bike ride during the summertime. Did I tell you guys about how my aunt did a cross-country horse and buggy ride? No. No, you did not. <laughs> my my aunt owns both a horse and a buggy, and uh, they had a cross-country horse and buggy ride uh, that she only joined partway through. And by partway through, I mean she joined them in Arizona and went all the way to Florida. So she did <laughs> Close enough. 85% of the country. Um, she had basically it, the longest route card on Ticket to Ride. Exactly. And, but not uh, trains, horse and buggy, pre-train technology. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, she does lots of horse stuff. This is not the only horse stuff she does. And uh, she lives in Arkansas and was a member, was a uh, head ranger for the Arkansas uh, State Park System. So nature is her business. Uh, Yeah, and she does horse and buggy stuff all over the country. And she decided to take uh, three months and horse and buggy across the country. I have nothing comparable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She was the uh, fun aunt when we were kids. My uh, my mom's other aunt is uh, delightful and a power real estate broker in the Northern Virginia area, but not quite as fun. That is. So did you, did this fun aunt who took a horse and buggy across the country? In what ways was she the the fun aunt? Did she take you on horse and buggy rides across the country when you were a child? No, uh, she owns a cave in Arkansas in the mountains of Arkansas. Who owns a cave? Yes. She owns a cave. Who owns a cave, indeed? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm wrapping my head around this. And a cabin in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas. I want to own a cave. I didn't know you could own a cave. Yeah. You can own a cave. Man. I mean, not in the well, District of Columbia. You're upset, but, like you've been denied the opportunity forever. You could go own a cave tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> In my experience, most caves are like are, are public property. So in Kentucky, there's there's Mammoth Cave, which is that's where I learned to tie my shoes. That's <laughs> really special, Ben. <laughs> that um, is my memory of Mammoth Cave. You it were a child. I and you were not an adult. I, I was uh, uh, 27. It was <laughs> four years ago. It's recent. Within the time frame of this show coming into existence. Yep. 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 Where did, you, did you just go with Velcro up until then? I, I th- those specifics I don't remember, but I just remember the first time like I tied Loafers my shoes. and boat shoes. Yes, boat shoes. Yes, that was definitely my Cincinnati no. stop. No, not at all. Um, the, Adam is the boat shoes. Evansville, Indiana, is boat shoe territory. Apparently, of the Midwest. Riverboats, man. Yeah, exactly. Gambling and casinos. Did oh, you yeah. know you can go on boats with other shoes? <laughs> the University of Evansville's mascot is 
a riverboat gambler named Ace Purple. Guys, I'm from I'm from near Annapolis, Maryland. We have the Sailing Hall of Fame. I know about boat shoes <laughs> being worn to everything possible. I'm just I want our listeners to know that don't let people with boats tell you you can't come on their their boat without uh, boat shoes. You can get on there with any kind of shoes that you have. I feel like Jason is flagrantly anti-boat shoe. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you have boat shoes and you're listening and you're, you've been offended, but no, no, I'm, your shoes are wrong. I'm coming on your boat with my regular shoes and there's nothing that you can do to stop me. I'm not going to lie. The range and whiplash <laughs> of this opening has made it my absolute favorite opening of the show of all time in more than five years of doing this. Thank you guys for that. Hey, Hey, welcome in. This is filibuster. The Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the Richmond Kickers, the Washington Spirit, the U.S. men's and women's national teams, and whatever else happens to, to Horse- cross our addled minds. Horses, buggies, boat shoes. I think we have yet to write about at least buggies. We may have written about horses and boat shoes in the past. I, I, I have written about horses on our site. I compared uh, summer friendlies to... Uh, uh, horses at one point on our website somehow not the most random thing about this podcast tonight about this episode but there you go uh we've got a really good really big show for you tonight uh we're going to start it off on a little bit of a sour note with dc united's two nothing loss at home to the columbus crew slash crew sc whatever they insist on being called uh, we are going to have our good friend Josie Becker back on the show to talk about the MLS's Western Conference, and we are going to end with a discussion of the U.S. men's national team and their upcoming World Cup qualifiers with our good friend Matt Doyle. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I was thinking after the game about some superstitions to help DC get scoring again, um, and I was first I was thinking about switching what jersey uh, I wear on game day, which is a normal one. And then I got back to thinking about uh, what was I drinking during the preseason, and it occurred to me that it was a lot of tequila and margaritas and that sort of thing. So I have Marks. I have a uh, mezcal margarita uh, with El Bujo mezcal um, and uh, Grand Marnier. I went uh, top shelf. Um, well, except for the lime, but there was there isn't like a second fancy top shelf lime. Um, so I feel like yeah. limes are pretty great. So. A- Super fancy top shelf lime would be extra great. So I want to know what that is. Hold on, but it's a real lime and not lime juice. No, 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 it's a real lime that I cut with a knife and squeeze with my hands. Yeah, so that's already top shelf. Yeah. Okay, then top shelf across the board. There you go. Um, Speaking of superstitions, I've already been changing my jerseys um, and my socks and my shoes. (laughs) Well, you should change those every day. Well, Well, changing which ones I wear on game day. You can wear the same shoes every. But you should yeah. change your socks every day. Okay. I'll I'll remember that. I'll try to take that advice Good. into account going forward. Good. Um, listener Damian Cash, who is at oldtimer with a Y on, on Twitter, suggests that there's only one solution to DC United's rough start to the season, and that is me drinking rum. And yeah, that's true. I am not there yet, partially because I have no rum. You guys... <laughs> You should go get rum. Maybe I will. Maybe I've been wanting to try Cotton and Reed uh, Distillery over in Union Market. I'll I will try to hit them up this week. And if DC United should fail, uh, I I will 
find a way to have rum on the show next week. Please don't root for a loss just so I have to drink rum. That's not nice to me. It's not nice to DC United. I would rather I would rather DC United win than Adam have to drink rum, even though I enjoy Adam drinking rum. I agree with everything except the last part. <laughs> Instead, I am drinking a shrub, which is a, a summery drink because I, I, I want it to be summer. Oh, who's it? What now? <laughs> no. A shrub. It is a cocktail made with a... A bush? Uh, no, no, with a, a kind of vine- a cocktail vinegar, essentially. Uh, there's a company called Shrub District that makes shrubs here in the district. They're, they're appropriately named. I'm drinking their are they, blueberry... Are they, like, are they like boxwoods? No. They, this one is blueberry, uh, white vinegar, a little bit of sugar, some water, some basil, and orange oil. And it, okay. they put it in a little, little bottle. And you put about an ounce of it with a couple ounces of, uh, I used rye whiskey, um, throw a little bit of orange liqueur. I used Grand Marnier because that's what I had and, uh, some orange bitters and it makes a really good, not too sweet, a little bit sour, very refreshing cocktail. Okay. I'm a fan. I'm going to try right. some other, other shrubs. They sell them at uh, union kitchen grocery and some, some good beer, wine and liquor stores around DC. So. That's my plug for a DC company. Ben, what are you drinking? So, unlike you all, I have, there's no Grand Marnier in my drink tonight. Ooh. But there is, also unlike you all, there is rum in my drink tonight. Mm. Boo. So, but unfortunately for podcast listeners, I actually enjoy rum, unlike Adam. So it's not a burden upon myself to drink rum. Boo. Indeed. But um, I am often known for my failed alchemy of alcoholic beverages on this program. So I decided to make a uh, white Russian, but instead of vodka, I used rum. My eyes are large. You just turned into the slide there, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm known for making bad drinks. I'm (laughs) going to make myself a bad drink. Is it a bad drink? It's okay because at least the uh, <laughs> rum has the rum has enough sweetness to make it palatable, and also the uh, the the milk has enough uh, creaminess to make it palatable. So, so it's like an extra sweet white Russian. Yeah. Also, I hate vodka, and if DC United continues on this streak, not only will Adam have to drink rum, but I will have to take a shot of straight vodka, and nobody wants either of those things. And Jason, do you hate anything? Any alcohol-wise? Boat boat shoes. Besides Um, boat shoes, yeah. We won't make you drink a boat shoe. I don't... Yeah, No, I don't hate anything. There's stuff I don't really drink that much of. Like, I don't drink a ton of wine outside of with, like, like red wine with a big steak. Uh, I've done that a bunch, but other than that... What about kombucha? Should we just make Jason drink kombucha, even though it's not? I alcoholic? haven't had kombucha before, so I don't. I don't have a statement on it. I will <laughs> say there is one drink that I I distrust uh, with all of my heart. It's not a hate; it's a distrust. But it's not a drink that I, I don't think it exists anymore. Um, it is no, it's Sparks, the uh, oh. <laughs> uh, alcoholic malt beverage that that. Uh, had caffeine in it that was before Four Loco. There was Sparks. The can looks yes. like a a battery. Yeah. Um, yep. Sparks, I don't get heartburn from things at all. It just doesn't <laughs> happen to me. But Sparks would give me heartburn within, like, 30 seconds of taking a sip. 
I, I think that's called uh, heart palpitations. <laughs> no, that, that's like my body saying, like, this is poison. Don't do this to yourself. Um, and so people – and the thing is, Sparks got really popular when I was, like, 24 or 25. So people would go buy a round and they would come back with, like, six cans of Sparks and hand me a free drink. And you guys know about me and free food and not wasting alcohol. Instead of bon vodka. It really is the intersection of, like – Things that things that set me up to fail uh, and occasionally get me in trouble. It's like I don't want this at all, but I'll drink it, and then it gives me heartburn, and I've got to deal with the the like, do I just throw this in the trash, um, which is where it belongs? Because if you want caffeine and alcohol, there's ways to do that. You don't have to get sparks. Red Bull and vodka. We don't don't buy Red Bull. Um, don't buy Red Bull. If you order but, Red Bull at a bar and they don't have cans of Red Bull sitting out, you're not actually buying Red Bull. You're buying, you're buying energy it. drink. You're buying uh, generic energy drink. I mean, I, I, will, I would just say, yes, don't buy Red Bull, but Red Bull and vodka is better than Sparks. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as a flavor goes, it's just a moral problem. Don't buy Red Bull. Um, but I will say, if you want caffeine and alcohol, the best solution is uh, some sort of uh, caffeine-infused vodka or coffee-infused vodka. Um like the double espresso like what, uh, vodka Van Gogh makes. Yeah, the Van Gogh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So if you want to get caffeine and alcohol, there's ways to do it. And, uh, you know, you can you can let your body deal with the uppers and downers and let that war happen within you. Um, but um, don't drink Sparks. It will ruin your insides is what I'm saying. Your esophagus, um, your intestinal lining, all that good stuff. Uh, it's poison. <laughs> and that seems like as good a note as any to turn to the soccer because DC United is still scoreless in 2017 through three games, uh, 270 minutes of Failure. trying to score a goal and not scoring any goals. The crew scored twice from the penalty spot and United fell two to nothing to their rivals from Columbus. Uh, let's start on the penalties themselves and then we'll get into the, the broader game. Ben, were these legit? Yeah, both of them were legit, I think. Uh, I think... Steve Birnbaum has less blame on the first one than the second one. Uh, I think the first one, Sean Franklin could have done better to help him out and preventing that situation from happening. But I think overall, and I mean, especially the second one, if you, on the replay, you can see that uh, while Bobby Boswell might've gotten away with that in years past, uh, Birnbaum does uh, arm bar, uh, what was it, Ola Kamara? Or it was Ola Kamara. He won both of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does armbar Ola Kamara in the penalty area. So I think both of them are... I, I don't find much problem with with either of those. I think uh, Ted Uncle had a bad game regardless of that, but I don't see any problem with the penalties. The first one from my seat in the stands, uh, it looked like Birnbaum got the ball away uh, before he took out Kamara, looking at the replays, it was obvious. It doesn't that matter if you get the ball. It, it matters if you get the ball first and don't go through the man to get the ball. That does matter. If you go through the man, it's it's obviously a foul. But if you get the ball first and happen to incidentally touch the the attacker, that's not necessarily a foul. We, However, uh, more TV. importantly, more importantly, my view from the stands was was wrong. On replay, it was obvious that Kamara touched the ball himself, and Birnbaum got no ball. And it, yeah. the first one was really, really a penalty. Um, the and second all I was going to say about uh, the the TV replays, they only showed us one replay. Like they showed the same replay like five or six times, and they like kept promising that they're going to show us other angles, but they didn't. So 
Yeah. I only had the one angle like you did. So Yeah, but that angle was enough for me to change my mind. Okay. Uh, the second one, in this game, the way Ted Uncle called other fouls in this game, I do have a trouble with this one being a penalty. Okay. I take issue with it because there were so many other plays that were harder fouls that were not called elsewhere on the field. And if it's not a foul outside of the box, it shouldn't be a foul inside the box. And Fair. that's, that's, I think you, you can make a case that it was a foul, but I, I think with the way Ted uncle called this game, it, that's a hard pill to swallow on the second one for me. I mean, it was it, it definitely in line with the way he called fouls against DC United. Maybe not the way he called fouls overall, <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess for me, it's almost like because Burnball makes a mistake on the second the second penalty, um, he has he has Kamara shepherded away. The play is is essentially solved already. Um, the extending his arm out and then actually making a small push that part didn't it, he didn't need to do that to keep him from reaching the ball, right? Um, but he didn't he didn't know exactly where Kamara was, and that's the mistake. Um, when you shepherd somebody. Uh, you need to know where they are. You need to have a feel for where they are. And he didn't quite know where Kamara was. And so instead of when he puts his arm out, he's no longer blocking him. He's like, oh, you're actually all the way out there. I have to like extend out. I have to um, snap my arm a little bit. And that is where the, that's where the incident happens. And to me, it's a situation where it's enough of a mistake where you get punished. And um, that's what I guess concerns me right now at the back, at least is that, United is making these penalties or these mistakes inside the box and getting punished. Um, and so from that, almost like a moral perspective, I'm thinking like United deserve to give up two penalties. The first, it, it's funny because from the stands, I actually thought the first one was like, like Adam, I thought there wasn't, I thought it was a dive because the way Kamara fell, it looked like a dive. Um, I'm actually, I, I sit even further away than, than Adam does from where that, that incident happened. But we're on opposite sides of the field. Right. Um, but the second one, um, I thought that was a legit penalty from the start. Um, I will say it's soft. Um, yeah. but Burnbaum makes a mistake and he opens the door for a penalty to be called. And that concerns me more than, you know, the, the thing you can't control is sometimes you get Ted Uncle assigned to your game. Um, I was actually telling some people, um, uh, that sit near me about him because they've they've kind of realized that I know something about all the referees and they're like, is this guy any good? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. I, I told not. them that he was all over the place. He was erratic and unpredictable, and that when he called, if he calls a penalty kick, he does a dramatic stomp and point thing. Oh, um, it was that, super, especially with the second one. It was super but he, dramatic. But that's what he always does, and it's, oh, it's the dumbest thing in the world because you're calling a penalty kick. There's going to be emotions. Te no, t no matter what someone does in the box, they usually protest a penalty kick, um, at least a little bit. And when you make a big show of calling the penalty kick, you're you're not helping the situation at all. No, um, it's it's the thing in baseball. Umpires in baseball on close calls. I don't know if they're coached to do this, but when a call is, you know, a routine call, there's no drama. When it's a close call, it's like full body punch out, and right. you don't have to do that in soccer. No, in baseball, I think that's too. That's to prevent arguing and show that you are very decisive. And in soccer, you have to manage people right. a lot more than you have to um, manage people in baseball. And that's not a good way to manage people, to try to no. show them and up. He's the, and and the other moments. thing is, he is the only referee that does that in MLS. And there's a whole, um, like, those gestures, like, the the way you make a call, you're instructed on how to do it. 
Referees are told how to give out cards. They're told how to call penalties. They're told what to do with their body language. Um, in another game this weekend, I think it was, um, uh, which one? Alan Kelly was the referee. Um, there was a penalty kick called. I think, um, it, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, but there was a, a penalty kick call. Um, oh, it was uh, FC Dallas and the Revs. Um, uh, Christian Coleman got called for a jersey grab in the box. The Revs scored their penalty that way. Um, Kelly called the penalty undramatically and then pointed at Coleman and showed what he did. And I feel like that's the, like, I mean, we've criticized Alan Kelly before, and he hasn't really been that great since his first year in the league. Um, but that is how it's supposed to go. He very, he, it was an unfussy penalty call. He didn't want to make a, a big show of it. And then he explained with a gesture and with words what, why he was calling it. Um, now that was an easy one because Coleman didn't just grab the jersey. He twisted whoever it was completely around like a top and threw him to the ground. Um, that was a, like, if I'm committing a penalty kick, I'm making sure that everybody knows what I did. Um, but in this case, you know, uncle didn't help the situation at all with his gesticulating, but I don't really, I have a complaint about Ted uncle. I don't have a complaint about the two penalty kicks. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about what's actually wrong with DC United right now. Cause there's something wrong with this team. Um, they, they look, they've looked worse in all three games than they did in really any preseason game, which is not the way it's supposed to work. Um, Although that is how it often works with DC United. Yes. They, they have a tendency to, to start off slowly in, in March. Ben, I think you, you ran the numbers on that even. I did. Um, since 2000, uh, DC and not including this year, DC United has averaged 0.93 points per game in games played in March. And that's 2008 to now. And then I think it was 2002, 2003 and 2000 because with contraction, there was weird stuff happening in uh, the early 2000s. But yeah, it's not just a Ben Olsen thing ever since uh, the Bruce Arena era of DC United. They haven't been good in March. It's just not a thing that they're good at. Uh, last, uh, what, no, 2015, they were was good. Was the exception, yeah. Yeah, 20, 2015 was the exception. But other than 2015, since 2000, they've been really bad in March. And we can, well, we won't on this episode, but we can think about why that might be. Uh, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. They're just bad in March. Yeah, the lucky thing is that there's still time to turn this around 34 games is a lot of time and yes six teams are going to make the the playoffs from the east so there's still there's still time to to figure things out but they do need to figure things out um steve birnbaum needs to figure things out he had a howler of a game as as you heard from what jason was saying uh sean franklin didn't really help him marcello didn't really help him i, th- I, th- I think uh yeah i think franklin was just as bad especially on the first penalty i think birnbaum got caught by what Franklin let go. Well, I mean, I I feel like Burnbaum making those mistakes on the penalties, it all comes back to, in this game, um, some momentary team-wide lapses. Um, we actually have a GIF in uh, Ryan Keeper's GIF post, and, and it'll be up again in an article I'm going to write because it's a, a something to be emphatic about. The build-up to the second penalty is, it's a combination of certain players are too passive, and a couple players are trying to press, but it's one man trying to press. And one man trying to press somebody, unless that person is completely unprepared, generally is a bad recipe. The pressure wasn't, it was all disjointed. It wasn't, you have to, when you press a team, you have to press as a unit. 
Um, and it basically when Columbus builds out of the back, Ortiz goes to press uh, Williams and he's not getting any help, but at least he's making Williams rush his pass a little. But from that moment on, there's not enough pressure on the ball throughout the entire buildup. And Columbus essentially passes through DC as if DC is standing still. It's like watching um, a training exercise rather than um, a, a game where you're losing one nothing and it's the 65th minute at home. Um, it was the lack of urgency, the sort of they, they switched off for a play and Columbus went from 30 yards from their goal to in the box and forcing a penalty kick in almost no time at all. Um, and to me, that is just as alarming as the mistakes in, in the area. And, you know, Birnbaum has had, I would say, two games in a row where he hasn't been very good. Uh, Franklin has had two games in a row where he wasn't very good. Um, I think I think we all agree that he did well against Dom Dwyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe maybe that pairing is good against more physical, bullish sort of center forwards, which might bode well for the next game against the Union because they don't really have a um, super intelligent off the ball kind of striker. They have physical target men. Um, so maybe that's good. Um, but it's not just the center backs is, is the end point. It's, it's not even just Marcelo, who I thought improved somewhat. Um, yeah over past performances. He was still behind the play too often, but he's getting, he was getting closer to what United needs out of that spot. It it was team wide, uh, mental issues. I think in this game where, where the guys that they just weren't switched on in moments, they needed to be switched on all over the field. I think moments is the, the right word there. Um, because United for long stretches were kind of in control and Columbus had only a cup, a few threatening moments uh, Bill, I think Stefan had more to do on the day outside of yes. the penalty kicks than Bill Hamid did. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, the expected goals for this game backs that up. United didn't have a great game by any means. They had something like, uh, let me pull it up. They had almost 1.2, which isn't a great goals, you know, expected goals total. But if you take out the two penalties, Columbus had less than one expected goal yeah. from this game. I mean, the I, chances I, they got weren't great. And United had their chances. Right. And I, I mean, I'm looking at the the key pass chart. Columbus had three key passes in the entire game, um, whereas United had 10. And two of those were on corners. So, OK, eight from open play, but still um, a lot more in the way of opportunities. Uh, what, what is this? I looked this up before. Um, United had, I want to say, 10 pass or t- yeah, 10 shots inside the 18. Um, eight of which came within the width of the six yard box. Um, and those are, those are the kind of opportunities where you end up with a high expected goals because those are good chances. That's the whole thing. Um, Columbus doesn't really have anything to show for in, in, on the other side of that. Um, so in a lot of ways, United can only really blame their finish. I mean, they can blame some poor defending we already talked about. But um, their finishing and their their precision with that final ball or that final decision, uh, in close range has been the that's the reason they're not scoring. It's not bad coaching. It's not the formation. It's not anything else. It's the they're being imprecise. I mean, how many times in the first half did they just not uh take a shot when the shot was there and they took you know the extra touch or um opted to make a pass when they should have shot or shot when they should have passed. Um, it's just that last little thing. Um, I mean, that's, has that's- the, the one that stands out in my mind is the uh, Lloyd Sam attack where he should have 
uh, crossed to, I believe, Mullins early mm-hmm. in the first half and said yeah. he took the shot from an awful angle and right. it went uh, into the side netting or went wide or whatever. But right, it, it, it didn't it was, get anywhere. It, it, was um, indic- yep. it was indicative of their play throughout the entire game. When it actually, this kind of goes back. I was thinking about this um, earlier tonight. Um, back when, back in the opener, uh, we talked about uh, Jared Jeffrey's shot that Tim Melia saved on the at the end of that crazy corner kick sequence. Um, and at the time, I, I I know I said on the show, and I probably wrote as well that Jeffrey did about as much as he could with that one. I went back and watched it again, and he actually had Mullins wide open, dead mm-hmm. center in the sixth with Melia leaning the wrong way. If he just nodded the ball back to him, it's as easy a goal-scoring chance as there is in soccer. Yeah, I think um, I mentioned that at the time, but you watched the play and yeah. for Jeffrey to get to that position because he barely got in enough on it to put it on goal, to be able to right. get but, even further. And but he did, it back. he did have a moment where his eyes had to have seen Mullins. Yeah, that's um, true. And that's, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is that um, – it's been there the whole season um, against NYCFC. They did have the one goal taken off for a bad offside call, but they also had other moments where if they just been a little more precise, they don't lose the game for nothing. You know, if, if, uh, if, if Hamid is closer to his post on the fourth goal and, and United gets their one goal at the stand three, one doesn't really feel so bad. Um, I mean, it sucks, but it's not a debacle like and, for nothing. I- and in, and in this game, Hamid, on both penalties, Hamid was so close. I don't blame him for missing either of the penalties, oh, yeah, yeah. but he was a... so close on both of them. Right. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I the offensive woes are down to that last that last little bit. Um, the chances it, have it, – it, they haven't created as many chances I, as I would have expected, but when, you know, we've had a couple days to digest the game and stop being emotional about it, it looks an awful lot like a team that if they just are a little more precise with the at the last moment, they're not. That, I mean, this is a team that could have three or four goals by now fairly easily with just a little bit of precision, without major changes, without lineup changes, without anything else. Just with a little more precision with the guys that have been out there, and I'm not saying their record would be good. I I think they'd they might be you know two draws and one loss instead of one law one draw and two losses. Um, but I feel like two points and a minus two goal difference is a lot better than uh, zero goals for six against and one point. There was a moment early on in the second half where Jose Ortiz uh, got a shot, uh, got put through on goal on a really nice back heel from Patrick Niarco and tries to just lift it over a diving uh, Zach Steffen and Steffen makes the save and it goes out for a corner. You could just see almost the change in body language from DC United when that happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been the moment the game was was really lost looking back on it. Because right then it was, you know, a lot of breaks had gone against United from the penalty to mm-hmm. tackles they were making seemingly always seemed to bounce off the attacker and into space for the attacker right. to run onto. Uh, which is really demoralizing when that keeps happening over and over. And sometimes it's skill on the other guy's part. Sometimes it's a mistake on your part. Sometimes that's just how the ball bounces, but it happened. It seemed like every single ball was bouncing the wrong way on this one. And then when that save was made, that would have made it one-to-one and United had all the momentum. They came out really strong at the beginning of the first half. They came out. Okay. For the very beginning of the second half after that, they weren't really pushing again until it was two nothing. late, like desperation time. 
Yeah. It wasn't and, even once and, it became two nothing, it was like once it got to like the eightieth minute and it was two nothing. Um yeah. when Columbus yeah, got yeah, that yeah, penalty, exactly. there was a long lull where it was just nothing really happened. Yeah, um, United was having trouble. I mean, we, we talked about the tactics before the game in our Facebook video, Jason, about yeah. Columbus coming out in a an oddly pragmatic and a little bit esoteric system. Yeah. It was but, pretty interesting to me that they didn't just change formation because one of the things they, that Berhalter was saying was that even if I change formation, we're still going to play the same so- style of soccer. They did not. They didn't. <laughs> they sat deep and played counterattacking soccer. It actually reminds me a lot of a game we've talked about a few times over the years um, when Portland came to D.C. and played a long ball 4-4-2 and just ground, it, ground the game to dust and waited for United to make defensive mistakes. And United made two defensive mistakes and they won 2 nothing. And it's a similar kind of thing where you've got a very dogmatic coach um, under some pressure and deciding, OK, fine, I, I will change the way we play, not just formation, but actually the style. Um, and I've got I will say I've got to hand it to Columbus playing what – we at the time we were a little like, is this going to be a back five? Are they going to play three four two one? It was really a three four three defensively at least. Um, mm-hmm. They had a line of three with uh, Iguain, Kamara, and uh, Merum. That that I think that in and of itself was something United had trouble solving uh, in possession. Um, but it was odd to see United. I mean, game states influence possession stats, but United ended up out possessing Columbus. Um, and having a better, which pass is not a bet I would have made, right? Which e- is even on the neither road, neither of those is a bet I would right. have made at because home on, or on the road, right? Because on the road, Columbus will still possess the ball; they just slow the game down, and that's they use possession to help defend. Um, by just denying you the ball, it means you can't really get the attack going. Um, and that's how they've played against DC before. And I guess you know because their last visit to RFK ended with a three nothing loss, and and the fact that things haven't gone well for the crew, uh, in the past. Uh, you know, season plus now, um, something had to change and they got wise. And I mean, obviously it looked like they'd worked on it quite a bit. So you have to give them some credit. They didn't just slap this thing together. Um, but yeah, United was the first team to see Columbus in a three, four, three while playing defend and counter soccer. So they did get caught off guard. Um, and Columbus normally when teams throw something out like that, it's not really working that well. And Columbus deserves some credit for, not just coming up with a surprise, but also executing it at a decent level. Um, but I still don't think that lets off the fact that that United's attacking play yeah. is okay until they get close, and then it's bad when they yeah. get close. United used to, I think we've mentioned this before, for a long time, United were a team that were, they weren't always the better team in the final third, but in front of goal, in the big moments, right. they were the team that was better. And... As much as the game is won and lost in the center of midfield, it, it it's decided in those moments as well. And this year, United has not been good in those moments on either end. Yeah, you know, a few years ago, um, I'm thinking this goes all the way back to 2010, but that was one of the points that um, Olsen made at that time was that you have to be good inside the penalty areas um, to win in MLS. You've got to be good. You can be great between the lines, and that's great, but... Inside the box, you've got to be able to beat the other team. And I think we can conclusively say that United has been bad in the attacking the attacking penalty area, and they've been making big mistakes in their own penalty area. And that's where most of the goals and most of the wasted chances, they all stem back to inside the boxes. United just hasn't been that good. They've been better than – if you take emotion out of it, if you calm down and watch the games and ignore the goal part – 
Um, they've been good at a lot of other stuff. They just haven't been good in those moments where they they get close and they screw up the, the scoring chance and they've been making these colossal defensive mistakes. Against NYCFC, I guess it wasn't really penalty area mistakes. It was more uh, mistakes a little further upfield. But the point stands that if they can cut out a few mistakes and be a little sharper, we're not talking about a team that is scoreless and is being compared to RSL who just fired their coach today. Um, we're talking about a right, team that this, is not ideal, are but fine. Yeah, yeah they're I, very close to being not great, but not bad. To be clear, I'm not saying the team is fine right now because right. there None is something us, yeah. something off. But the margins are are slim. They're, they're fine right. margins. It's not as it's not it, as bad as it seems. It's right. bad, but it's not as bad as it seems right now. One thing that's bad. Last thing we're going to talk about before we we bring in Josie, uh, Patrick Mullins pulled up lame in this one. Um, looked like his cleat got caught in the admittedly remarkably bad surface at RFK this weekend. He was making a run in behind one of the few runs in behind United had that wasn't offside. And he, he got tripped up by the the field and shortly thereafter came off injured uh, with what looked like a hamstring or he other grabbed, kind of he leg. Grab, he, from the other side of the stadium, you could see him grab twice at his hamstring. Um, yeah. He was so, definitely grabbing the hamstring. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully it's, it's a tweak and not a full blown tear and he'll only be out for, for a little while. In any event, I'd expect, Jose Ortiz to start against Philadelphia here in a couple weeks. Um, but obviously Patrick Mullins was a big part of what was right with DC United at the end of last year. He hasn't been involved enough this year, admittedly, but he's still an important part of this team that, that we want to get back 100% quickly as possible. Anything else from you guys before we, we take a quick break? Hearing. Uh, no, I, I will say that I thought... Um... I noticed, or I guess Ryan put this into our Slack thing that uh, Harks already has five key passes in two games, and it's he's not far off the pace of the league leaders. The league leader is Benny Fieldhaber with ten, um, and over Harks three games. Has, and Harks has five, and he has only been the principal attacking midfielder in one of those two appearances. Um, so I think that bodes well. I mean, that's a, a little tiny piece of good news in in mostly uh, a sea of bad news right now um that he's ex he's executing on his duties he's doing pretty well um it, it's maybe the guys around him that need to be a little better all right and we will try to be a little better in the next segment uh where we will do a belated preview of the mls western conference with our good friend josie becker stick around this is filibuster the black and red united podcast Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Unfortunately, I lied in the last <laughs> segment. We are not going to be joined by Josie go, Becker. Go, go, fill a goat. Today. I don't know why Ben said that. You, Adam, you're a monster for lying to our listeners. I am. My, you, my, you and you alone are responsible for this situation. My, <laughs> legal, my legal advice is that Adam is a goat. I, That's I, not advice. <laughs> like, give advice. Anything. Form it into advice. Like, take the step. No. No? All right. <laughs> I'm not... Well, I'm too lazy to actually hold you to it. Josie got called away to a very important meeting uh, at Dodger Stadium, I think, and uh, is unable to join us tonight, but we will have her on in an upcoming episode. I promise. That is not a lie. I hope. She, she will have hilarious opinions about Leonardo. Um, yes. 
she has hilarious and correct opinions about the Houston Dynamo center back named Leonardo. Um, and we will ferret those out of her in an upcoming week. Matt Doyle will be coming up in just a second. Until then, we are going to... Go. Think about what we've done. Yes. Go. Yes, we are. <laughs> I'm going to drink my drink. Ben is going to say ridiculous things that don't make any sense. It's going to be a normal episode. Yeah. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious in a I'm really not. Uh but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh they they offer discrimination wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except no, he they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We're joined now by the armchair analyst, if I can talk correctly, the armchair analyst from MLSsoccer.com, Matt Doyle. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be back on, guys. It's been a little while. It has. Uh, we tried to get you on before the season, but you you took a well-earned vacation, <laughs> and I'm not going to not gonna hold that against you. Uh, it may be a je- little bit jealous of the sitting on a beach part, but... <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I recommend sitting on a beach with uh, tequila in hand for about seven straight days. It's a, the best way to recharge one's soul. So There you go. Well, we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team and might need some soul recharging after this conversation, depending on how it goes. Uh, what are you recharging your soul with in your armchair? Uh, well, I, right now I have a, uh, a glass of uh, Trader Joe's box red wine, uh, which has been keeping me fueled throughout this uh, cold and wet winter out here in California. Uh, but the official answer is always uh, Heineken. Kids, got to remember, <laughs> corporate sponsors. See, we're, we're working on uh, cultivating some corporate sponsors. So that those tips, those are one, really useful yeah, for the three of us. Show at a, one show at a time. One show <laughs> at a time. So. Well, we brought you here to talk about the U.S. Uh, men's national team, the World Cup qualifiers coming up against Honduras and Costa Rica, both really late games if you're here on the, the East Coast, which which you're not. So they're reasonably timed games for those of you out on, out West. I mean, even for out here, it's it's pretty late. I think kick isn't till 7.50. So figure once I'm, I'm done writing and, and, and doing a, you know, a video as well, it'll be close to midnight by the time I'm done, which doesn't, I mean doesn't happen all that often uh <laughs> in mls we're pretty reasonable about our starting times but in general following the league following any league 
any league in the Americas, it's so much easier easier on the West Coast. So it's it's true. So I would start this off asking what what Bruce Arena wants to do with mm-hmm. with his lineup and with his roster, but injuries to Bobby Wood, Fabian Johnson, DeAndre Yedlin, Eric Lehigh, and about twelve other guys. <laughs> um, ha- those kind of forced me to ask you, what do you think Bruce Arena will be forced to do with this roster? I think that it can still have the same type of structure that Bruce is known for. His teams have generally played a 4-4-2 over the years. Of course, you know, the DC teams 20 years ago played a diamond, but I, I think mostly with the U.S. and, and then with the Galaxy, it was a, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a, uh, flatter, more standard four four two with wing playmakers instead of uh, a traditional number ten. And even with Bobby Wood and Fabian Johnson and Yedlin and Lehigh and Chandler all out, there's still the the pieces still exist to do that. You can go with Dempsey and and Altidore up top, and you can go with Nagby on the left side of midfield and Pulisic on the right, which is where they play for their clubs. You can play Kellen Acosta in central midfield and Michael Bradley as a D-mid, and uh, you're not losing a lot. You still have a lot of talent out there, too. Honestly, enough talent so that at least four points out of this game should be expected, and honestly, I think uh, they should go down to, to Panama and win. The one question is obviously going to be right back because it's probably going to be Michael Orozco and he's the fifth choice. Um, But he's a guy who goes out there and starts every week for Tijuana, which is the second or third best team in uh, Liga MX this year and were top of the table last year. He's got a decade of experience in Liga MX. Um, This is more depth, more versatile and and, and proven depth than the U.S. has ever had. And, And Bruce has to use it uh, to get the points here. There, there can be no excuses. Uh, Matt, I guess my, my main question is entirely a, a, a pet cause of mine. It's not only me, though. It's a bunch of us. Um, central midfield, obviously, you've already mentioned Kellen Acosta being a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. I think it should be like he should get this start regardless. I know it's a must win. Um, I get the the you know reason to avoid playing a 21-year-old with four caps, but um, is there, is there a good argument to not start, uh, Costa alongside Bradley? That it's a must win that he's a 21 year old with four caps. <laughs> you know, I think all of them have been at left or right back. Yes. Um, <laughs> if, if Acosta had, uh, been healthy in, in January and gotten onto the field, then I think there's a, a better argument for, for just putting him in there. Um, I'd put him in there anyway, but mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not Bruce Arena. You know, right. I've never coached a, a a team to an MLS title, let alone five. I've never coached a team to uh, the quarterfinals of the of the World Cup. He knows a little bit more about team building than I do. So I, I think whether it's Acosta or Bedoya, and by the way, I think it'll be Bedoya or Legette or Question or Dax McCarty. Um, you just kind of got to say, okay, he deserves these two games to prove that he's got it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he doesn't, then obviously we're all in big, big trouble. So, <laughs> so uh, Matt, we, we we know this is a DC United podcast, so I have to ask a DC United question. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
Bill Hamid obviously isn't going to be on this roster uh, for injury reasons and and fitness reasons. But do you think uh, – where do you think he stands on the Gold Cup roster? Do you think he's going to uh, start with those players over the summer or do you think there are other – MLS goalkeepers ahead of him for that for that. I, I I think that um, if he stays healthy, he's a lock to be on the roster. And um, if he stays healthy, I think he's the most talented uh, goalkeeper in the pool. Uh, and, and I don't. I, I assume Bruce sees that. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't. But he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stop. Yeah, uh, you know, as great as he is, he can still. You know, he still concedes some, some shockers, uh, some absolute howlers. And uh, I, I've been waiting for two years now for him to get that out of his system, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, hopefully it happens over the next few months because it looks like uh, you guys are going to need to pitch some shutouts in order to get any points <laughs> uh, up there. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've got whiplash out here. <laughs> from the end of last year, from the beginning of last year to the end of last year to now, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not been good, but I think the thing to to look at is that the process is you know, which is not. I mean, kind of a loaded term at this point, but uh, I, I still see a team that's generating chances um, that kind of knows how they want to play. Uh, the finishing hasn't been there, but finishing comes and goes. Uh, if the good soccer, and I think from the midfield and forwards, it mostly has been pretty good soccer. If that's there, then then you could have a little bit of confidence. The bigger worry is central defense. The Sean Franklin experiment hasn't worked. Steve Merbaum has, I, I, I don't impressed. know. What, yeah, it's yeah. not been good, and uh, they pretty clearly miss Bobby Boswell. Yeah, I, I'm I'm of the mind that defensive midfielder, defensive midfield is where the problems start for DC mm-hmm. United. Um, Marcelo has uh, gotten old in a hurry. It looks like. Yeah, so. as of July of last year, he was, I mean, he was so good, and, and he's, he's not the same player, uh, mm-hmm. and, and even more so in 2017. Let's really quick, just, you know, quick hits on Honduras and Panama. I think I misspoke and said Costa Rica mm-hmm. earlier. What is Honduras going to try to do? What is Panama going to try to do uh, against uh, the U.S.? I, I think that Honduras is going to come and play for a point. They'll sit deep and, uh, you know, absorb as much as they can and uh, use those uh, those spectacular athletes that they have along the front line, the guys who've been getting out and running the break every every week for, for Houston so far. Um, you know, Albert Delis and Ramel Kyoto, and, uh, you know, you can throw Anthony Lozano in there as well. Um they're dangerous, even when they're 90 yards from goal. Uh, and, and I think the U.S. will know that and will have to be smart about um, where they extend themselves. Um, but the U.S., they got to go out and they got to they got to play. I mean, they got to get some goals. Nil-nil won't do in this one. Um, and Honduras, for all their talent, the center of their back line um, does not does not stand up to scrutiny. Um, I, the, you know, the U S should get at least two in this one, especially with Dempsey healthy. Uh, I, I think Panama will play a little bit more on the front foot because they're at home, which is just natural. Um, but, uh, I, I honestly, I haven't seen a ton of them in, uh, in the last six months. 
I know they called in Blas Perez, so you assume he'll get some run and, and they'll try to play off of him. Uh, but I'm not sure how central he is to what they want to do uh, going forward. It, you know, they got the nil-nil draw at home against Mexico, which I think they probably felt was a good result. Um, but it's still home points dropped. I think they're going to feel like they have to go out and get three points in this one. Do you think they'll do it? Uh, no. I think that the U.S. is going to is going to uh, play lousy, but win against Honduras, and then play surprisingly well and win uh, in Panama. And then at this time next week, uh, well, nine days from now, we'll all be able to get a sound night's sleep for the first time since November. Huh. All right, I'm looking. Looking forward to that, especially since I got a kid on the way and I'm not going to get much sleep uh, <laughs> from this summer on. Matt, I know you said you didn't have a lot of time, so we'll get you out of here. Tell our few listeners who don't know where to find you online where they can do that. Uh, you can find me at MLS Analyst on Twitter. Uh, and I, of course, write the Armchair Analyst series, uh, which is now video as well. I'm a multimedia superstar. Uh, on, That's uh, how you do it on the West Coast. Oh, absolutely. Uh, at MLSsoccer.com. Uh, sorry, this this uh, this hit was so brief, guys. I'd be happy to come back in the not too distant future. All right, we'll we'll take you up on that. Find us at blackandredunited.com, on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails uh, to filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Music, the podcatcher of your choice. We're probably somewhere in the ether around you right now, and you didn't even know it. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show, and we'd really appreciate it. So for Jason and Ben thanking Matt one more time, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>